Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. Well, I am excited to um, share with you guys the word that we've prepared today. Um, If you are a visitor here, today is probably going to feel like, why did I come on today? I I should have come on a different day whenever Lyle was preaching something more inspirational. Uh, Because today, what we're doing is basically a Bible study on the topic of church government. Kind of how I thought that would go over, uh, to be honest. Uh, but today, we're going to do a bit of a Bible study on church government. And here's why. Last week, we announced uh, on Vision Sunday that the word of the Lord over our house for 2022, does anybody remember it? It is the year of? It is the year of growing down. The year of growing down. Not the year of blowing up. I don't know who needs to hear this, Brian, there. But not the year of blowing up. I'm talking about the year of growing down, deeper roots. Who wants a a deeper, stronger root system in their faith in Christ Jesus? Not to be moved by the winds of culture, not to be moved by the doctrines of men, not to be moved by the traditions of religion, but to stay steadfast in the strength of the Almighty. Come on. What does Psalm 1 say? Having the root system watered, we're planted deep by the river, the source of life that is Jesus, bearing fruit in any season, that everything that we touch has to prosper, not because we're connected to it, but because of who is connected to us. That's what I'm believing for in 2022 for you. And so this word is connected to God's word over our house for the new year. It is the year of growing down. Therefore, we're making some changes to strengthen the root system, strengthen the structure, improve the systems, do all the things that are necessary, not only to give God more glory, but also uh, to develop and to disciple our church more effectively. Could you guys get excited about that with me? I know that's tough. I know that's tough to get excited about. It's not like one of those words like five tips, tools to greater success and how to have a, get a raise on your job. I wish I had that word for you today. I know those are good, but today it's about church government. Are you good? Okay, cool. So we're going to traverse our way through this message and uh, we're just going to start with the title and then I'm going to pray. Is that cool? Okay. So the title of today's message is pouring a strong foundation pouring a strong foundation. Um, I really believe that the strength of any local church uh, is tied to the strength of the leadership of that local church. And when I say leadership, I'm not talking about gifts alone. Gifts certainly have something to do with it, but before gifts, character matters most. Amen. Amen. And so we want to talk about the strength Uh, of the foundation of our local church and pouring a strong foundation in the year of growing down. So if you don't mind, just please join me. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would use this word to bring about more unity in this house. Lord, I ask for the spirit of unity that was in the upper room to be at Legacy Nashville. 
that spirit of unity amongst a group of brothers and sisters that were willing to wait upon the Lord to do what he said he would do. And that's what we're waiting on, God. We are waiting on you to fulfill your word over this house. We're waiting on you to fulfill your promises, the prophetic words that have been spoken over this place. God, we say yes and amen. And so we wanna come into alignment with your plans over this house for now and for the future. And so that's what we endeavor to do today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So, like I said, we're going to talk a little bit about church eldership and church government. And to be honest with you guys, when I started to prepare this word, number one, I didn't want to preach it, but my pastor told me to. So, I'm submitted today, all right? I just want you to know you have a pastor that is also undercover. I'm not asking you to be under authority and me not be under any authority. So I told my pastor, I was like, I don't know if I want to preach this on a Sunday. You know, this is kind of like a master class thing. You know, we got to get hype on a Sunday and I need like my preaching towel and I need the whole thing, you know, so that it's fun and engaging. And he was like, nope, great leaders do the boring work well. And although you might think that this is a bit of a boring message, it is a structural sermon that needs to be taught within the context of this community because it's prophetic for where you're going. Okay, all right, Dr. Frank, you got it. Yes, you got it, no problem. And as I started to study it, I was like, what I thought initially was somewhat boring uh, became actually controversial. <laughs> and I was like, oh, maybe this isn't so boring. God, really? You mean like church government is, is controversial? And not to say that God suggested that because it's, it's not first and foremost, controversial. First and foremost, it is biblical. But I think we could all testify to the reality that the Bible presented plainly can be controversial within our culture. I'm doing this with a smile, big smile, <laughs> big smile today, guys. And so I was thinking, I was like, Lord, this might feel a little controversial. Why is that? Because in our, in our culture today, to suggest, to proclaim, to preach, to declare that we all need spiritual leadership in our lives can actually be somewhat controversial. Because we live in what social scientists call a radically individualized society. So how dare anybody tell me anything? Because what's best for me is best for me, and what best What's best for you is best for you. And that's kind of the world we live in. But the Bible gives us a different story. The Bible gives us a different narrative that God himself invites us into so that we can partake of a better leadership, of a better government that is both good and is healthy. Amen? Amen? And so we as a church are wanting to, in the year of growing down especially, we're wanting to build a structure that is strong, that is good, that is healthy, and is biblical. Everybody say biblical. So by my observation, we live in a culture where the idea of being led is connected to the expectation of being controlled. 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to try this side over here. Uh, so we live, I don't know if you guys have noticed this. This is my own personal observation. We live in a culture where the idea of being led is connected to this expectation of being controlled. But can I tell you that God has no desire to control you? If that were the case, then he would have been controlling our first parents, Adam and Eve, and he would not have placed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the center of the garden. He would have put it off to the side. He would have put it like just beyond the sideline, like just outside of the garden, just outside of their reach. But instead of doing that, God actually supplants the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they were not supposed to eat from right in the middle. There's, there's no true love without true freedom. You have to have the opportunity to choose God and to not choose what God is against. God's leadership is perfect in your life. It's always good. It's always healthy. It's always wholesome. And there is a way in which Jesus is actively building his church to have good, healthy, wholesome leadership in your life. I need a pastor. You need a pastor. We all need pastors, people, Christians, uh, people of God. We need pastors. I'm I'm gonna go a little step further and say, we need mothers and fathers. We need moms and dads in the kingdom of God, leading, serving, sacrificially, teaching, preaching, loving, being hospitable, creating a space in which the people of God are able to thrive because we do it in accordance to God's model. Amen? So that's kind of what we're endeavoring to do. And so to kick this off, I just... I simply want to make a statement that government is God-ordained. And I'm not trying to get super controversial and get into, like, U.S. politics or anything like that. I'm just simply saying that the idea, the concept of government is God-ordained. Government in the universe is God-ordained. Amen? If you'd like to study this out, I'm going to post a link on my Instagram with all my sermon notes today so you'll get it in the story after the service. Okay? But if you want some evidence as to the reality that it is God that has established government in the universe, you can go to Romans 13, you can go to 1 Corinthians 12, you can go to Isaiah 9, you can go to Isaiah 22, you can go to 2 Peter chapter 1, and you can see there that government in the universe is God-ordained. Now, today, we're not going to primarily talk about government. We're going to talk about church eldership, but that has to do with church government, and God wants there to be good, healthy, wholesome government in his house. Amen? Amen? He wants good, healthy government in his house. Now, Judges actually shows us what the experience of people is when there's no government. In Judges chapter 17, the Bible says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You know what that's a setup for? Chaos. You know what that's a setup for? Lawlessness. You know what that's a setup for? Absolute anarchy. That's what it's a setup for. No government. Uh, No leadership, no healthy leadership, no wholesome God-ordained leadership because humanity is intended to be governed in God's way, in God's way, all right? But this is why Satan actually despises true God-given government. Satan hates true government, hates it, absolutely. Think back to his experience in heaven. 
Any, any expression of God-ordained government, Satan despises and attacks. Why? Because he is the lawless one. We know this. And he wants to bring about a lawless society and a lawless experience for all people. That's what he wants, right? Satan rejects true government. Why? Because Satan refuses to accept any authority aside from his own. Satan only acknowledges his own self-governance, which is why he got kicked out of heaven, right? Satan submits to no one but himself. Now, we know that that is true about Satan, but that sounds like a lot of statements that we hear made today. I submit to nobody but myself. Thank you very much. Like, we might be able to say, I think we can say, that an absolute unwillingness to be led by anyone but yourself is actually satanic behavior. Wow. I'm going to keep the smile. <laughs> Honor your mother and your father. This commandment comes with a promise. God will satisfy you with long life. Your life is wrapped up in how you honor the wholesome, healthy, and God-ordained leadership in your life. Listen, I need a pastor. You need a pastor. And an absolute unwillingness to be led by anybody but you is satanic behavior. Okay, how's this going so far? Okay, cool. Let's go a little bit deeper. Um, so God, we see, we see in the Bible that God has established four realms of government. Here's the four. Uh, number one is the government of heaven. That's the universe and the angelic realm. I'm giving you guys like at least 50 scriptures today. So you can watch this back, listen back, or like I said, I'll post the link in my stories. Um, the government of home. How many of you guys know that God has ordained a government in the home? We need spiritual moms and dads, but we also need natural moms and dads. We need good mothers. We need good fathers. We need good husbands. We need good wives. We need good aunties and uncles and cousins and healthy and wholesome environments for our kids to grow up in and thrive. Amen? Amen. Uh, government of nation. State and human governments. You can see Genesis 6 and Romans 13. I could have literally put the Old Testament, just literally wrote those three words because how many of you guys know that the Old Testament is a law, right? It contains laws, principles, and precepts, and it was given to Moses for what purpose? To govern a nation. We forget sometimes, like, well, I don't want, any, I don't want anything to do with anything to do with politics. You can't read the Bible if you don't want any insight from the Lord on politics because most of the Old Testament informs us about how God wants to run his own government for his own people, which we call Israel. I mean, the kingdom of God is its own government in which Jesus is Lord. Okay, anyway, that's not, that's not what this word is about. This word is about, number four, government of church, which is a God-governed society with, within a human-governed society. You can go to 1 Corinthians and Hebrews if you want to look at that more. Uh, but a God-governed society, uh, that is called a theocracy. Everybody say a theocracy. 
That means ultimately God's in charge. How many of you guys know that Jesus is in charge of his church? This is his house, not ours. That means he has the keys. He can come in here and do whatever he wants whenever he wants. He can rearrange the furniture. He can turn over the tables. He can switch up the programs. He can change the idea that we have of today's set list or planning center flow. Like, this is God's house. We all acknowledge that, right? Like, that's what we're doing here, Legacy, is we are gathering around Jesus. Amen? It's his house. It's not ours. He's the senior pastor. I don't even, we don't even have those designations. Allison and I are the lead pastors. But Jesus is the senior pastor here, church. He's in charge of the house. But it's a God-governed society within, you can go back to the, within a human-governed society. Now, we live in the United States of America, which is governed with a particular expression of government called a democracy. So the church is governed by a theocracy. Everybody say theocracy, which means God-governed. And then uh, we're governed in, in America with a democracy, right? And we know that means we have, a, we have voting rights, and there's all kinds of really cool things wrapped up in being a democracy, right? But that's why the church is a God-governed society within a human-governed society. At the end of the day, all of us as Christians know that the Word of God says, when it's all said and done, everybody's bowing their knee. Everybody's confessing with their tongue. Here's who the King of Kings is, and here's who the Lord of Lords is, and that is Jesus. Amen? If we're together, say we're together. All right, you can go to the next slide. So let's pour a strong foundation. Point number one. All right, I got four points. Point number one is this. King Jesus. It's actually Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. There's no pastor. There's no leader. There's no apostle. There's no prophet. There's no bishop. There's no overseer. There's no deacon. There's no man of God, woman of God. There is nobody that gets to usurp the headship of Jesus in his own church. Amen? That's it. He is the head of the church. There's so many scriptures that teach us he's the head of the church. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the apostle. He's the great shepherd. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. The Bible is so clear that Jesus is the head of the church. Every single government within those four realms of government that we read today all has a head. All of them. The, the, um, the universe or heaven. Who's that? Jesus. The home. Right? We know that the Bible says that the husband is the head of the wife. I'm not quite courageous enough to preach on that yet, but I'll get there. <laughs> Michelle's amen at me. <laughs> also, the nation and the church. We know that there's a head, and that head is Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 says, And he put all things under his feet. And he gave him his head over all things to the church. We know Isaiah chapter 9, we read this during the Christmas season, that the government shall rest upon his what? Shoulders. His shoulders. And there's going to be no end to the government of the Messiah, and we know his name is Jesus, right? There's no ministry in the church that's Lord. There's no leader that's Lord. That place belongs to Jesus only, and no one is allowed to usurp the headship of Jesus. Jesus is the head both of the global church, big C, and he is the head of this church, the local church, little c. And every local church that is a true biblical church 
Its headship is Jesus. Now, a church is very different than a cult. Everybody's like, ooh. <laughs> Go on. I got to spice it up. You know, we're doing a Bible study here. Listen, uh, a cult gathers around the man of God or the woman of God. A church gathers around the word of God and the person of God, King Jesus. Our goal here is to literally camp around the throne and be like, Jesus, this is your church. I mean, you gave us a good book here, and we're going to do our best to follow it in connection with your spirit. Build your church. We're with you. We love you. Our lives are laid down at your feet. Amen? That's the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Number two, Jesus chooses elders to lead local churches. Now, you're, you will find this all throughout the New Testament, and this is actually one of the points that I want to really deeply press into you today, because today what we're doing is we're announcing um, our eldership team with a fresh structure for this house. How's that? Is that cool? Awesome. Jesus chooses elders to lead local churches. I want to look at three churches in the New Testament. I don't have time to go through all of them, but I want to look at Jerusalem. I want to look at Antioch, and I want to look at Ephesus. Just super quick. The very first church of the New Testament was planted by Jesus alongside his 12 disciples. So we see right away the way in which Jesus led and did ministry was a great deal of empowerment, and he empowered a plurality of leaders. Amen? That's what we see in Jerusalem. And uh, we see that fleshing out in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. It says, but Peter, standing up with the 11, lifted up his voice, and he addressed them, right? This is right after the Holy Spirit is released. Uh, people are baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. They, they receive the gift of speaking with other tongues. Um, you know, they're spilling out of the upper room. This is the first sermon that was ever given uh, at the first church by the apostle Peter, who stood up with the plurality of the elders of that church and gave a sermon. Now, this is significant enough for the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 14, to include that even in heaven, that there was a wall of the city with 12 foundations, and on them were 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lord. So the way in which Jesus is building his church is not just for the here and now, but it's for the forever. What we do today has an impact on eternity. There were also prophets from Jerusalem that went and ministered at Antioch. Uh, it's verse 27 of Acts 11. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And in addition, there were elders in the church at Jerusalem. We know that there were more than the apostles. Acts chapter 15, verse 6 says, the apostles and the elders, everybody say the elders, and the elders were gathered together to consider a matter of church doctrine. 
to consider this matter. Now, that's the church at Jerusalem. So what do we have evidence of? Jesus builds his church. He empowers localized elders. There's a plurality of leaders. And there are people who are not only the 12 original apostles, but in addition to them, there are also elders. So I think it's safe to say that the first church that Jesus planted had a plurality of empowerment and many different elders that were leading locally. Could we all agree with that? All right, let's look. I could probably stop there, but just for the sake of convincing you, look at the church at Antioch, and there were prophets and there were teachers, and that is clear at Antioch. There were leaders. Uh, that is Acts 13 and 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, and then we know that Paul and Barnabas, if we study church history, were sent out from the church at Antioch to do what? Become missionaries and plant churches. I want you guys to know that we want to be a New Testament church that sends missionaries and plants churches. I want you to know that we want to be a New Testament church like the church in the book of Acts that has saints praying powerful prayers. And we see healings and miracles and supernatural signs and wonders. And we send missionaries and we plant churches and we see the Bible come to life before our very eyes. That's who we want to be, church. That's who we want to be. The church at Antioch, they uh, sent out Paul and Barnabas, and in Acts 14, 23, the Bible says, and when they had appointed elders for them in every single church, that's what Paul and Barnabas went and did, planted churches, and what did they do? They appointed elders, right? So when Paul went to Ephesus, he planted a church, uh, the church at Ephesus, which we have an epistle for. And whenever Paul wanted to talk to the leaders of the church at Ephesus, I want you to notice what he didn't do. He didn't say, send me the pastor. He didn't. You can look at, um, you can look at um, Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, which is a location, he sent to Ephesus and called for whom? The elders of the church to come and to meet him. So I think it's safe to say that we can look through at least these three New Testament churches and secure our second point, right, church? If you're with me, say, I'm with you. I know, it's, it's deep. It's deep. It's deep. Point number two, Jesus chooses elders to lead local churches. Point number three, while Jesus chooses elders to lead local churches, multiples, multiple elders, and they are equals. Everybody say they're equals. They are equals. Everybody say they're equals. God delegates varying degrees of authority to them. I think we can all agree with this, especially in the natural, that you know, while we all have the same value, different people have different graces to do different things with different gifts. Amen? Could we acknowledge that? It is the same in the church. So Jesus appoints a team. Everybody say a team. As a team of governors, if you will, uh, elders is what the Bible calls them. And then amongst that team, the Bible is clear that in certain instances, there are also chief elders or a chief elder. Now, this does not mean that that person gets to rule and reign as some type of, um, you know, controlling, uh, abusive, 
uh, terrible leader, but that they serve the body and the team of the elders with the gift of God that has been placed upon their life to be the last stop for decision-making as it pertains to direction. That was a, a run-on sentence. Did that make sense, though? Okay, so in the, in the case of this church, those people would be my wife and I. Hi, we're your lead pastors. I think you guys knew that. Now, I think it's obvious that by me saying that, you know that we believe uh, in women eldership. We believe in that. And if, if you're against that, I've got a lot of scriptures for you. But... Um, I also want you to know that I see why you might hold that perspective. And we could talk about why we might disagree, but at the end of the day, what I'm telling you today, church, is this. There could be multiple ways to lead a church. I'm sharing with you how legacy feels God is leading them to lead this church. So we're doing so, my wife and I, as the co-lead pastors. And um, at the end of the day, I submit to her. And that's obvious. It's what we say publicly, but we know. If y'all were a part of staff meetings, yeah. my wife and I, we do a lot of flirting in staff meetings, but it's healthy for the house. Just so you know, your pastors are keeping it hot. All right, so just so you know. So what the Bible calls a chief elder, we'd call a lead pastor. And a lead pastor does not take the place of Jesus in any way, shape, or form ever. I think we know that that's been established. And you can look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25, chapter 5, verse 4 for some evidence on that. But we look at um, lead pastors uh, as, like Kevin J. Connor, the Australian theologian, says, the first among among equals. So it's kind of like a chairman. Makes sense to everybody? If it makes sense, say it makes sense. Awesome. But it's a team, all right? All equal, but they have different gifts. And you can see that in the Bible uh, through Peter, who was an elder, and yet he was accepted as the first among equals. This is one of the reasons why the Catholic Church looks at him as the first pope. Okay, you can see that, Acts chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 38, chapter 3, verse 4 through 25, Acts chapter 4, verse 8 through 12, Acts chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. I'm sure you guys wrote all of those down. But then when Peter departed, guess what? He bestowed the authority upon James, who became the chief elder at Jerusalem. You can look at Acts chapter 12, verse 17 to see that evidence. And then in Corinth, as well as at Ephesus, Paul called for the elders of the church, and the elders all recognized Paul's mantle of leadership as they were sending him out. That's Acts chapter 18 and 20. And then lastly, Timothy is spoken of as the bishop of the church at Ephesus. We know that Paul left him in charge around 64 AD, and you can see that in church history. And the list goes on and on and on. You look at Titus, you look at uh, Epaphroditus in uh, Philippians chapter 1, Nymphus in Colossians chapter 4, and then here we go with a female elder, which you have Aquila and Priscilla, which you see co-leading in Romans uh, chapter 16. So a lot of references. Did you guys write them all down? 
at this point, do you even care? You're like, you know, you know it's, it's all good, Pastor. We, we got it. Just move on. Then there's also the team of the elders, which I think we have exhausted at this point, but I just want you guys to know as legacy, we are choosing today, we have five elders, five total elders um, that are gonna be leading in this next season. And um, there's no set limit of elders that can potentially be leading within the context of one local church. But uh, what's most important is that the church have ample elders as it needs. So for the size of our church right now, we feel like five will work. But as our church grows, we're gonna invite more elders as part of that team. And lastly, the church congregation uh, has an important role to play in the governance of a church. Uh, Philippians chapter one, verse one says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, Christ Jesus, to all the saints, everybody say, that's me. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Everybody say the elders, the elders. and the deacons. I know sometimes in church culture, we, we like uh, say different terms for different leaders like pastor or bishop. We don't really say overseer, but they all mean the same thing. They just mean elder in the Bible, okay? I know sometimes people are like, you can't be a bishop until you like pastor or plant like 50 churches. Well, biblically, you can be a bishop if you're a pastor or an elder, okay? So it's just we have some wonky stuff that happened throughout church history to try to exalt men over actually God's prescription. So that's a different sermon for a different day, but the congregation must pray. Everybody say pray. Pray for the leaders that lead them. Pray for your pastors. Please pray for my wife and I. Please pray for our children. Please pray for our health. Please pray for wisdom. Uh, you must pray for your, your eldership. You must pray for your staff team. You must pray for your small group leader. You must pray for... You're, you're, you're the leader on your team. If you're on, serving on parking team, you need to be praying for Kristen and you need to be praying for Eric Slingo. You need to be praying for Bradshaw, you know, that he is able to continue to dance with such vivaciousness in the parking lot. Be praying for your leaders, amen? Um, also, the church congregation submits themselves to their leadership as the leadership submits themselves to the word of God. That's Hebrews chapter 13. And the church, we want the church, I want you to know, we want the church to be gen generally and genuinely consensual in all matters of church direction. Yeah. All right, listen, if you come here for two weeks, uh, church direction and development, if you come here for two weeks, I'm gonna say something that you disagree with. It's a guarantee, maybe two minutes. I don't know, it's not gonna take long. I can promise you that. But we want to have general consensus amongst the church's development. We don't want 50% of you guys saying, I am totally against eldership. And the other 50% yeah, I'm fully for it. You know, we, we want to be in unity, amen? Yeah. We want to be in unity, which is why we're taking the time, a little time out here to talk about this. And then lastly, the church congregation confirms matters of church discipline. How many of you guys know that in a house where there is rules and there is government, there is also discipline? Amen? There is discipline in the church. We're going to talk about all of this at Legacy School of Ministry next fall. So if you want to dive deep into church doctrine, sign up for that when we open registrations in March, okay? All right, fourth and final point. 
Local church elders must be biblically qualified for their role on the eldership team. Last point. You've made it. Look at your neighbor and say, good job. All right, good job. You've made it. Last point. Everybody's like, thank God. It's the last point. <laughs> point four. It's the last point. Local church elders must be biblically qualified for their role on the eldership team. Who gets to be an elder? The Bible's very clear about who gets to be an elder. You'll find that in Titus, and you'll find that in 1 Timothy. We're not looking to man's standards as to who we appoint to be an elder in this church. Just because somebody gives a lot in the offering doesn't qualify them to be an elder. Money does not equate spiritual authority. That's called the prosperity gospel, and it's a doctrine of demons. <laughs> okay. Um, so you might be thinking, oh, well, it's the popular kids. They're the ones who are going to get to be the church elders. No, listen, your influence does not equate to your authority in the spirit. That's called the popularity gospel, and it's also a doctrine of demons. We're going to go to the word of God, and we're going to be anchored within humanity's most tangible expression of truth, which is the Bible. That's what we're doing. So there's some qualifications. You guys still doing good? Some qualifications are spiritual qualifications. Our elders, they're going to have their spiritual life in check. You know what that means? They pray, they fast, they read the Bible. They intercede for you. They're about that life. Amen? <laughs> Thank you for getting with me, David. Number two, they have character qualifications, meaning they have their personal life in check. Meaning they are endeavoring in any way, in every way, to live a holy and blameless life before the Lord. Uh, thirdly, they have, there's domestic qualifications, meaning the way that they treat their spouse matters. The way that they parent their children matters. The way that they take care of their home matters. The way that they are hospitable towards other people matters. And then lastly, number four is ministry qualifications. And this is the functional life within the church. Uh, the word, one of the words for elder in Greek is actually the word uh, pillar, which means they carry the weight of the ministry. Everybody that we're going to share with you today, we feel, by our observation and experience, is currently actively shouldering a load, a big load, in this church. And so before I announce them, can I just read two passages of Scripture, and I'll let you go home. You go watch the game. Okay. Titus number one. Titus one. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. Everybody say order. order. And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, everybody say elders. As God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant. He must not be quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as is taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, this is the first job description we have of an elder in Titus. Let's go to 1 Timothy and look at the second. It's pretty much the same. 
The saying is trustworthy. It's pretty much the same, which is what gives us the opportunity to create a doctrine from it. All right, if it's not mentioned at least twice, you can't create a doctrine from it. All right, just throwing that out there. So like when you read through the Bible or you're tempted to create some weird ideology about things that the Bible says, look for confirmations, right? Because what does God say? In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. All right, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. God is giving you permission to say, hey, I want to serve as an elder in the house of God. He's giving you permission for that. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert. Or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. It's a pretty strong list, huh? So we have some names to present to you today. Uh, so as we mentioned, we have five elders. Um, um, Allison and I will chair that team. And then uh, we want to have each of these guys stand so that you can... Um, just celebrate them with us. Uh, first and foremost is Michelle Fairber. <laughs> Secondly is Mr. Brian Nira. And last but not least is uh, Mr. Franklin Cole. So excited to announce this team to you guys. We really feel that this is so significant for what God is building in this house, and uh, it's truly sowing into the word that it is the year of growing down. So what we've done is, as we, as we mentioned, as we mentioned, uh, there's elders, um, there's an eldership team, but there's also congregational uh, consensus. And if you're a member here, we want you to respond um, to us, Allison and I, putting forth these three names today. So we have a QR code, and uh, what we're asking you to do, this is not a vote, all right? It's not that we need a majority to ratify this, but what we're asking for is a response. If you are a member of Legacy Nashville, if you're a member, this is your home church, we want you to respond, okay? Uh, they're each of the names. You may not know any of these guys, and if you don't, that's fine. You don't have to mark anything, please feel no pressure. But if you know one of them, and one of them has recently sinned against you, <laughs> we want to know in the comment section. Just roast them real good. No, I'm, 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 I'm kidding, but I'm also serious that in the sense that if there is a reason uh, from your experience and perspective as to why any of these um, elders that we've put before you today should not be commissioned as elders, as we get started with this new team, we want to know. Because there should be general consensus among us and our unity amongst the community of what we're doing together. Amen? So there's a QR code there. We also have a QR code uh, in the seat back in front of you. So if you can't quite zoom in from where you are, uh, it's in the seat back in front of you. And you can scan that. There's a link tree there. It's, it's literally four, it's four questions, I think. So 
pretty simple. And then what Allison and I are planning to do is we're gonna stand with you. You guys know that we are also members of this congregation? We're gonna stand with you as part of the congregation and we're gonna lay hands on these guys and commission them to join us as part of the eldership team, amen? So we do that together as a family. We feel like this is safe. We feel like this is strength. We feel like this ultimately is biblical, which is why we're doing it. That's why we're doing it. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Thank you all for coming to the Bible study today. Just look at your neighbor and say, it wasn't that bad. And if you said that honestly, come up on the prayer line. I'll hit you with some of this. Your day will get much worse. Isn't it a joy to be in God's house? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I think of David, how he remembered and gave God praise for being counted in the number of the congregation. I think of David when he said, you know, I'd rather hold the door open than be distant from God's house. How I long to be a part of the procession before the throne of God in his own house, worshiping and blessing him. This is such a gift, guys. We cannot neglect to mention to the Lord that it is a gift to be a part of a New Testament community covered by God's grace that is connected by God's spirit in unity. And I just want to declare we're diving deeper into that today. Will you pray with me, church? Lord, we thank you so much for knitting this uh, house together, knitting our hearts together. Lord, we thank you for Michelle. We thank you for Brian, and we thank you for Franklin. We thank you for these wonderful leaders that have stewarded uh, so many hearts in this house for so long already, God that we get to uh, just bring up before you and before this church and admonish them and celebrate them, God. Uh, We just say we trust them. And we know you trust them too, Lord. And we just say we trust one another because it's it's by your grace that we're here. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.